we're going to continue uh, this evening in our Heroes of Faith uh, uh, series. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it talks about faith. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. For it's the evidence of things we can't, cannot see. It's trusting things completely, even though we have no evidence to support it. We just, it's faith. It's just like God speaks to us. God shares with us. It shows us things, and we just step out and say, you know what? I'm going to trust you, God. I may not see it, but I'm going to trust you. Again, true faith is defined as a trust, relying on God when looking into the future, and obeying even though we don't fully understand his details. And we kind of see this in the character of, of the, the individuals that we're taking a look at this month. Uh, we first looked at Abraham two weeks ago. Brother Manny uh, did an excellent job on, brother, uh, on Abraham. I was going to say Father Abraham, and, and everybody started doing the Father Abraham dance. Everybody remember that? Praise the Lord. Maybe we should do that. Praise God. Wake up. I got to wake me up. <laughs> and then we looked at last week, Pastor Dan, we looked at Moses. The scripture we're using in our series, again, these are, we call our heroes of faith, uh, is uh, in Hebrews eleven six. It says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that rewards those who sincerely or diligently seek him. God rewards us when we sincerely seek him out of faith. And this is what our series is about, the heroes of faith, to, to kind of give us uh, an example of, 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 of those that had faith that God acknowledged. Tonight I want to look at Abel, an excellent sacrifice. He's listed here in our heroes of faith, and we know the story of Adam and Eve in the, in the book of Genesis. Uh, they were in the garden there. Everything was provided for them. God says, you can have anything you want, but don't eat from the tree of life. Again, they allowed themselves to be deceived. Uh, they were disobedient to God, and they ate from the fruit. And God banished them from the garden of Eden. They were sent out of the garden where they were no longer, basically where sin entered into the world. After that, they have two sons. Their first son was Cain. Cain was a farmer. He worked in the fields. And then they had also their son uh, Abel, which was, was a shepherd. I want to look at it, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 4. It talks about Abel here. And it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It says that Abel came and gave a more excellent sacrifice than Cain did, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, that God counted him as a righteous man because of the offering that he gave out of faith. God testifying of his gifts, and through his being dead, he still speaks. Even today, even though he's dead, he still speaks to us. His testimony still speaks to us. So I want to look at that story as Hebrews gives us kind of an outline of, of, of who Abel was. But in Genesis chapter 4, we're going to be going back and forth between Genesis and, and, and Hebrews. In Genesis chapter 4, uh, picking up in verse 3, and it says it was time for the harvest. And it says that Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. It said he gave some of his crops. It says, Abel also brought a gift to God. He says, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from the flock. It says, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Or, or, or uh, yeah, dejected. So the first thing I want to look at is, we want to look at Cain's offering. It says here in, in Genesis that Cain just brought some of his crops. He just brought an offering before God, but it was something that God did not accept. It was something that was not acceptable to God, in which, in turn, Cain became angry with God because he didn't accept his gift. It wasn't the best that he could do. It was something that was not given out of faith. God continues on here in, in, in verse 6. He says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? 
We know how when somebody's upset, we, we know it. We can see it in their face, especially our kids or our spouse. It's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you mad? Why are you upset? I'm not mad. I'm fine. Everything's good. But you can tell that something's wrong, and God tells them, Cain, or, or, Cain, why are you so angry? Why are you so dejected? And then he goes on. He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door, eager con- to control you, but you must subdue it and be his ma- its master. So we see here God's conversation with Cain. God knew his heart. God knows our heart. God knows exactly what's going on in our heart. And he's asking him, why are you so upset? I can see it in your face. I can see it. Why, why are you so upset? And here he gives him an opportunity to make things right. Here he gives him an opportunity to say, you know what, God? I was upset because of this. But he just says, you know, Cain, why are you so upset? He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. God's telling him, you knew what you should have done, but you didn't do it. I know a lot of people say, well, it was never written anywhere that, you know, God instructed them how to give of an offering. But, and I'm going to get into the offering later with Abel, but if you really look at it, it, it somewhere down the line, they were instructed because Abel's uh, uh, offering was consistent with the offerings that you look at in the, in the Old Testament. And somewhere down the line, they were instructed on how to give an offering. And it says that Cain did what he thought was right in his own eyes. He didn't give what was right and what was, he was supposed to give before God. He, would, he didn't give the very first or the very best to God, but he just did what he thought was okay. It says he just brought some crops. He just brought an, just a token offering before the Lord. God, again, he tells him he knew what you, you should have done. And again, Cain thought in his own eyes that he was doing what was okay. And this basically was just a self-righteous act because it says that Abel was righteous. God counted him righteous. So if Cain was doing what Abel was doing right, then Ab- uh, Cain, I'm going to get confused here, right? Cain and Abel, who's on first? <laughs> I knew this was going to happen, amen, praise God. But again, it basically he was being self-righteous. He says, I'm just going to do it my own way. And that's what happens when God challenges, God commands us, God speaks to us to do things his way. We want to do it our own way. We think, nah, my way's a good way, my way's a better way. You know, this way will work out, and we basically, we become self-righteous. We think that, hey, I'm just doing just enough, I'm doing good enough, I should be fine. Isaiah talks about our righteousness being as filthy rags. That basically, when we do it our own way, when we kind of think that, hey, my way's the best way, we're basically being self-righteous. God tells him, you know what, you need to take control over that sin in your life. It wants to control you. How many times has the Holy Spirit dealt with our heart, brought conviction upon our lives, where it begins to deal with us concerning issues in our lives that are not right with God, that God is saying, you know what, you need to get this right, you need to take control of this because it will take control of your life. We need to get it under control. We have a choice to walk by faith and trust God, and God will help us. But Cain didn't want to do it that way. Cain wanted to do it his own way. He thought, ah, just bring in an offering, it would be fine. And it says that he got upset when God did not accept his offering. God says, if you do not control these things, they're going to begin to control your life. And again, we have to make a decision to do what's right before God and say, God, if you're bringing conviction upon my heart, if you're speaking to my heart, I need to make these things right. Because if we don't, it becomes evident in the way we live. It becomes evident in the fruit in our lives. We begin to see the fruit in our lives. You look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. It says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. You, can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A d- good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. 
So every tree that is not producing good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can also identify people by their actions. And you see how God was able to identify the way Cain was living by his offering. He knew that, you know what, this is an offering that does not honor me. Cain did not give an offering that honored God. He was not willing to change when God spoke to him and say, sin is knocking on the door, you need to get it right, you need to change it. He was basically living an unrighteous life. In 1 John, there's a few uh, verses here in chapter 3 of 1 John. And it's dealing with sin, but in the end, he brings it all together. He says, but when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Again, this is keep on sinning, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. He's talking about people that keep on sinning. Those that God deals with, those that God is saying, hey, look, you got to get things right. You got to change. You got to turn this around. But we continue to be in the same way. It says that basically we belong to the enemy. It's a lack of faith in Jesus. God deals with us to make things right because Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin. And it takes faith to say, God, change my life. God, turn this around. You know what, I'm gonna trust you to change everything that is not right in my life. It takes faith to do that. But Cain just decided he was gonna do it his own way. In verse 10 of that same chapter, he says, now we can tell who are the children of God and who the children are of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers do not belong to God. The Bible says that we are children of God who when we live righteously, when we live according to what God's word says, when we live according to, to, to his plan for our lives, the Bible says that we are the children of God because of Jesus Christ and his saving power in our lives that we're able to become righteous. In verse 11, this is where he brings it all to where I wanted to get. He says, we must not be like Cain. He basically calls out Cain here. He says, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother? And why did he kill, kill him? Because Cain had been doing, or because Cain had been doing evil and his brother was doing what was righteous. Abel, again, is listed among the heroes of faith here in, in Hebrews chapter 11. It gives a list of those that lived by faith and they're acknowledged, and, they're, and, and, and they're, they're lifted up because of their faith. And when God spoke to them, when God commanded them, when God said, hey, look, I want you to step out in faith, they did it. And it says that here Abel was listed, but also it says that Cain, it says, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one. And this is why after God warns him, we see what Cain's response is. He could have changed and said, you know what, Lord? You know what, God, okay, I'm going to get things right. You know, yeah, I was upset. I was jealous over my brother's offering, but I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to make it right next time. But no, Cain wanted to do it his own way. In John 8, 44, for you are the children of your father, the devil. He loved to do the evil things. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. The first murder was, well, let me, let me go back to verse 8 in, in uh, Genesis chapter 4, 8. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. Let's go throw the football around. Let's uh, play catch. He says, let's go out into the field. And he says, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and, and, and killed him. He says, instead of following God's instruction to get it together and deal with the sin in his life, he did it his own way. Talks about him being a murderer from the beginning. The very first murder in the Bible was by Cain. Why? Because of the jealousy of the offering his brother gave. When we have jealousy in our heart, it snowballs. Because jealousy, when we become jealous, 
different issues with different people. What happens is it turns into anger. We begin to start getting angry with people. That's why God says, why are you so angry, Cain? I see it in your face. It's that jealousy in your heart that you need to get right. When, we ain't, when we're jealous, we get angry, and then all of a sudden we start gossiping. We start talking about people. We start tearing them down. We start saying, hey, you know what I heard? When everybody starts a conversation like that, say, yeah, I don't want to hear it. Because usually bad information. Some guy used to always come to work and say, they said this, and they said that, and they said this, and I said that. I kept finally asking, who is they? Can you tell me who is they? But again, when people say, can I tell you something? You know what I heard? Be careful with that because it becomes gossip. What happens is it, becomes, it, it roots into bitterness. You know, become bitter over people's promotion, blessing. People get blessed. Or even people that are doing right. Ah, look at them. They think they're all good because, you know, they're living right for God. And we become bitter towards people. It causes division. We're no longer encouraging each other. We become divided and no longer encourage each other or even each other's ministries. We don't support one another because of that jealousy and it causes division. And ultimately, we see the spiritual death of some people because it's just like, I don't need this. And then they're asked, what happened? I don't know what happened to them. In Genesis 4, 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your, Abel, your brother? And this is Cain's response. He said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? You see the attitude and the disrespect towards God. It was evidence in his offering. It's like, I don't know, what are you, what are you asking me for? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to keep an eye on him? Because of that self-righteous attitude, he didn't honor God. He ended up killing his brother, and he felt like, well, you know what, I gave an offering, I'm okay, you know, I, I must be right because I gave an offering to you. And he basically was almost like this must, he felt in his heart that maybe this excused his behavior. That, hey, I gave an offering to God, you know, you, you, you know you're supposed to let me go and do whatever I want. I don't know how many times I've heard this. Or people that tell me, you know, they, they get confronted by things, they get, you know, there's issues in their heart that they're being confronted on. And I've heard it hundreds of times where people tell me, you know what, I've given thousands of dollars to that church. They owe me. I feel like somehow because they give to the church that their unrighteous behavior should be excused. First of all, our attitude towards giving is that we're not giving to church, we're giving to God. Okay, we're giving to God. Because when we start thinking we're giving to the church, we're not honoring God. We're becoming like Cain. We're just giving an offering. Offerings, when we give, we give to God. I always remember one, one time there was an interview on TV, and they got a bunch of people together, and they were dealing with, with uh, uh, a pastor of a mega church, and they were asking some of his congregation there, well, how does it feel that you give so much church money to your church and your pastor and all this? And one lady got up. She says, you need to understand one thing. I don't give to him, and I don't give to the church. I give to God. And this is our attitude we need to have, is when we give, we give to God. See, God owes us nothing. If you're giving, thinking that God owes us, uh, and it excuses our, our choices that we make, uh, we're doing it all wrong. We really are. We give out, out of obedience to God, because we understand that God challenges and God tells us we need to give. We need to tithe. We need to give offering. We need to invest in the kingdom of God. We do it out of obedience to God. We do it out of gratitude, because we're grateful to God because of what he's done in our life. We're grateful that God has changed our life. We're grateful because God has done a miracle in our lives. We do it out of faith. God, here it is, Lord. I know you're going to bless it. 
I know, don't know how, and that's what faith is. We don't see it, but we know somehow, some way, God is gonna bless it. We give out a trust. We just trust you, God. I'm just trusting you, God. See, Cain just gave an offering, thinking that, hey, I'm right with God. You know, here you go, God. Here's my offering. You know, but you know, God didn't accept it. God was not happy with it, and it, you see the result of it. Again, God blesses not because he owes us, but it's because he, he loves us, amen. Can you imagine yourself talking to God like that? Really think about it. You know, God's speaking to us. What are you, what, what are you asking me for, God? I don't know. What, can you imagine yourself acting like that with God? You're praying and God is speaking to your heart. Holy Spirit's convicting you. It's like, why do you keep bugging me with that? You know, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you're asking me, God. But when we're jealous, we're angry, we're bitter, we do it to others. We really do. We do it to our spouses, to our parents, you know, at the workplace. We do it to each other here in the house of God. What happens when we get that attitude and we start becoming jealous and begin to let that, that, that root in our hearts, we no longer feel the need to be accountable. You know, God asks Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Why are you asking me for? We get like that. We feel like there's no need to be accountable to each other, no longer need to be accountable to anyone. We become unteachable. God says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. If you don't control it, it's going to control you. But he did not respond to what God was trying to instruct him in. When we allow sin and we allow jealousy, anger, bitterness to root in our heart, we become unteachable. We become unreachable. No longer answering the phone. No longer answering text messages. It's like... See people on their phone like 24-7 and you send them a text and it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. I got sons like that, probably watching. <laughs> I got one that's notorious, the never answering text, but yet you look at him, he's always on his phone. I won't give his name. Praise God. I got four. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. Now you are cursed. This is what happened because of his refusal to honor God, his refusal to change, and, and, and because he murdered his brother. He says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer in the earth. God says, you know what? You're going to be cursed now because of what you've done. And again, all this couldn't have been avoided if Cain would have just trusted God by faith and just responded to what God was challenging in, in him in and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. But instead, Cain did it his way, and we see the result. The second thing I want to look at is Abel's offering. This is by faith. Again, by faith, Abel offered to God more excellent. It was a more excellent sacrifice than Cain the which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Because of his excellent sacrifice, God looked at him as a righteous man. And Genesis 4.4 says, Abel also brought a gift, the best portion from the firstborn lambs of his flock. Another translation said, firstborn from the flock and all of their fat. Abel brought his very best as an offering to God. He put God first. It was called a more excellent sacrifice. And again, it was done out of faith. It was a heart that just trusted God. And again, this leads to, to his obedience. And again, like I said earlier, I really believe that 
somewhere down the line, he was instructed because of the, time, the type of offering, it was a blood sacrifice, but also the fat was included in that. He said he brought the fat along to offer before God. And again, it says God considered him a righteous man. Righteous is holy and upright living uh, according to God's standard. It's something that God wants from us and desires for us. It's to live a life that is upright and, 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 and holy before him, that we can be considered righteous. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, he says, For yes, everything else in this world, when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, that I could gain Christ. Paul says, man, everything is worthless to me that I can gain Christ, that I'd give it all up just to serve God, that I'd offer everything. And again, it's done out of faith. He says, later on, he says, and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness. It's not my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on our faith. It's by faith and our faith in Jesus that God considers us righteous because we begin to live the way he, he, he um, seeks us to live. Third thing I want to look at is a living sacrifice. Because we're talking about a sacrifice, but now our own personal lives, we become a living sacrifice. In Romans 12.1, in the English Standard Version, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. New Living Translation, it says, Also, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that will find acceptance. This is truly the way to worship him. So God accepted Abel's offering because of his faith. And again, it takes incredible faith in God to be a living sacrifice, to totally surrender our lives to God. You know, because by doing this, we're putting God first. Everything come, everything, God comes first above everything. It's a life that pleases God. That we say, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live a life for you. I'm going to live a life that pleases you. It's no longer about our selfish, selfish motives. God may challenge us to, to, to move into this area or this area or, or do certain things. And it's no longer about what our, want, our wants is, but what's, what God wants for our lives. And it's laying our, down our lives. Saying, Lord, I'm going to lay down my life to serve you. You think about it and go, oh my God, it must be a horrible, boring life. But it's not, it's a blessed life. Because you look at those that have laid down their lives, you look at those that have made their lives a living sacrifice, their lives are blessed. I can honestly say my life's blessed. I got a blessed marriage, I got blessed kids, I got blessed grandkids. I just had our seventh granddaughter, not granddaughter, grandchild. My life's blessed because you look at this and say, man, I gotta live for God, I gotta do what's right, I gotta put him first, I gotta you know, please him and do all these things. You think, oh, it's gotta, I'm gonna be a, uh, living a boring life. No, I, I've got a blessed life. I mean, I'm living in a life that's exciting. You know, I, we, do, we do fun things, amen? We're not, we're not bored, you know, like, oh my God, we sit at home and read the Bible 24-7 and that's all we do and then we pray for 24 hours. No, we have a good life and God has blessed us. Why? Because we made our lives a living sacrifice. We put God first and say, you know what, God? It's not about me no more, it's, but it's about you. Because the life we were living before God, we were living, basically heading down the road that Cain was, if you really think about it. For a lot of us, it, we, were, we were heading for destruction. 
But Jesus came in, and that's why I can understand people say, oh, you got a boring life. Oh, you got to live for God. You got to do all this. You got to go to church twice a week and do all this and that. But I think about what I was doing before. My God, I was hitting to a road of destruction. And now I'm looking at my life, and I'm blessed. And this is what it is when we put God first and make our lives a living sacrifice. One of the areas I want to I look at, and God was really dealing with me about this when I was praying and putting this together. We, I've known for about a month now that I was going to do this message. I've been putting it together. And this topic kept coming to me. I was like, well, God, and then God confirmed it a couple of weeks ago. Something happened and just really brought confirmation. And at some point in our lives, many of us are going to be challenged to give our life to care for someone, whether it be a spouse, a parent, a child with special needs, or a sibling. I'm talking about being a caregiver. Because I'm hearing a lot lately, a lot of people becoming caregivers. And being a caregiver is not an easy task. Because you, you go into it, it's like, okay, I'm going to take care of my mom, I'm going to take care of my, you know, my, my child, my, 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 my sister, my brother, whoever it may be. And, and, and it's not an easy task because you have everybody say, okay, we're behind you, we're going to help you, and then, and then nobody comes through. And you find yourself all alone doing it. And then your life's put on hold. It really is. Your life's put on hold. You know, you, you have all these plans. We're going to do this. We're going to go here. We're going to travel the world, do all these things. But now it's like, I got to put them on hold. You either got to cancel them or delay them. We weren't trained for this. We weren't trained for doing this. You know, you got the doctor appointments, going to therapy. You got meetings with all these different people. You got to cook special meals. The cleaning just, it just becomes something totally different. You, all of a sudden, you got to be carrying people around. It's not an easy task. My wife became my mother-in-law's caregiver. It was work. It was a lot of work. My wife had to quit her job just to dedicate herself. My, my mother-in-law was, came down with dementia, and um, my wife had to, had, to, had to resign from her job because she had to take care of her 24-7. And I remember the amount of medication she had to give my mother-in-law. It was like, I mean, she had a big old bag and all the pills she had to take in the morning and the evening. And she'd give them to her, and it'd be like, oh, I dropped them, Tina. They're all over the floor, you know, and Tina's in there picking them up. And which ones did you take? I don't remember which ones I take. It's work. But sometimes we feel we just can't do it anymore. We just don't have the time or the energy. My son, Matthew, was born. Many don't know, my son has special needs. And um, when he was born, he was in the hospital, and he, his chest was basically just going in. He was like, <gasps> like gasping for breath. And his pediatrician says, oh, he'll be fine. He'll, he'll outgrow that. So we believed him. And he's just, for, for a few days, he's just like, <laughs> like grasp, gasping for air. And I think that's why he has some of the issues he has. Well, by the grace of God, it was right here in La Mirada Hospital. I don't think they're there no more. Um, a, a doctor, a specialist from UCI Medical Center happened to be there in, to visit another child. And he looks at my son, Matthew, and goes, there's something wrong with that kid. He goes, there's something wrong with him. And immediately had him put on the ambulance. They shipped him off to UCI, and within, within that day, they put a trach in him. What happened was he had a paralyzed vocal cord that was blocking his airwave. And that's why he was gasping for air. And this was for like two or three days. So we're there at UCI. They put a trach in him. And what they told us, we're going to send you home with this suction machine. What it is, is you're gonna, in the trach, it's a tube in your throat that you breathe out of. This is where you breathe out of. And what you got to do is it builds up mucus. It builds up phlegm in there. What you got to do is you got to get a tube in the suction machine. You got to put it in there, and you got to, you know, suction it out. And they were training us how to do this, and to this day, I still remember. Left hand sterile, right hand clean. 
because you've got to hold the thing here, and you're going to put this into the suction, suction them out, and pull it out. So, man, we were so nervous. You know, we're 23 years old. We're just kids. And I remember they finally, you know, let Matthew go home, and we're driving home, and I think we probably got about two, two blocks from the hospital. And Tina's like, oh, my God, we need to suction them. We need to suction them. We're pulling over in the freeway, and we're, we're, we're panicking. We're thinking to ourselves, how are we going to do this? Second Corinthians 12, 9, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One brother told me it's a calling to be a caregiver when I was sharing with them that we're going to be taking care of my mother-in-law. He says, that's a calling because not everybody's willing to do it. Not everybody's willing to do it. It takes incredible faith to be a caregiver because we know God chose us to do this. It really is. God chose us to do this, and it's God who's going to help us because we're doing it for him. Matthew 24, verse 34 Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick in prison or visit you? And the king will say to them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. God is telling us, as you do it to the least of these, you're doing it unto me. By faith, as we lay down our lives to serve those in need, we're doing out of obedience to God, and our service is something that is well-pleasing to him. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how, how you have worked for him and how you have showed your love to him by caring for other believers as you do. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order that makes certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull or indifferent. Instead, you will follow. You will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. God will not forget the work that we put in to care for someone else. And it says that we will inherit the promises because of their faith and endurance. Caregivers don't do it for the praise or the pat on the back. It's done. Most people don't even know what they're doing. Most people don't even know they're caring for somebody. It is known by God because it's done out of love. I was here in the school one day, not in school, but in prayer, and they have things that you know, they put on the walls, and it was probably a couple years ago, and there was one that really caught my attention. It was, it was one of the kids drew a picture of the tomb of the unknown soldier, and it really got me. I even took a picture of it. It says, his, on it, it says here rest in honor, glory, an American soldier known but to God. Here's a soldier who nobody knew his name, who served and gave his life for his country, yet he is known by God. Life's truest heroes never carved their name on marble columns for acclaim. We don't do it 
you know, to, 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 uh, uh, for the acclaim or for the praise. You know, you go to these different buildings and they have the little bricks on the wall where you can buy one and it has your family's name on it. Like, oh, look at what I did. It says, heroes don't carve their name on marble columns for acclaim. It says, they build instead a legacy that springs from a faithful service to the king of kings. See, when we, go, we give our lives to others, we're doing it unto God. This is my commandment, love each other the same way I loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The greatest expression of God's love is to give our lives to someone else and leave a great testimony of being a living sacrifice. And the last thing I want to look at is a living, uh, an excellent testimony. Hebrews 11.4 talks about Abel. It says, though Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by example of faith. Abel left us an excellent testimony of faith. Here again, Abel is included what we call the heroes of faith. He left an example by putting God first, by obeying his command, by living that life that pleased God, and God counted him, God counted him righteous, and he gained God's approval. When we talk about leaving an excellent sacrifice, I thought about a story about a, when I was in Royal Rangers. This is years ago. We were in one of the campouts, and there was another outpost, one of their churches, uh, their commander, their senior commander, had just, had just recently passed away, um, and he went to be with the Lord. And I had known him for a number of years, just such a grateful man, uh, such a humble spirit. He, he shared with me his testimony. You know, he was in prison for many years, heroin addict, uh, involved with gangs, but he got out and gave his life to Jesus, and Jesus radically changed his life. And he gave his life as service to these young men, these young boys in, in Royal Rangers, and this was another outpost. And we were at the camp out, and what I did is I went over to their camp, just went to visit their camp, see how they're doing. They had a new commander there. And as I was sitting there, I was listening to the boys, and they were just talking about their commander, talking about all the things that he had did for them, all the impact that he made in their lives. And they were just reminiscing about what a great person this was. And I just never realized the impact, the example, and the testimony he left those young men of a man who lived a life by faith because he just served these boys and loved them and just, you know, took them every... I was listening to them and all the things he used to do with them, nobody knew about it. He just did it and he did it unto God. We need to strive to leave an excellent ex example or testimony in our lives. When people talk about us, that they can say, hey, that was a man or woman of faith. You know, they put God first. They obeyed his word. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his conviction and when he convicted them, they made things right. They lived a life that was pleasing to God, served humbly, you know, not ringing their bell, look at me, but, you know, just serving humbly and gained God's approval because of that life lived by faith. And they also had a blessed life. I was thinking about the example. I, I try to picture things when I read stories in the Bible. I, I, I've been watching The Chosen. You know, some people don't like it. I, I, like, I like it because I kind of see how they kind of try to depict stories in the Bible, and I've been watching that. And so when I get to this story of Abel bringing his offering, I try to picture how it was. You know, and everybody has their different idea of how things are. But this is me. This is my own personal picture of how I thought it was. And I could just see him as, as he's bringing his offering to the Lord. You know, he's not out there with the marching band and the drums playing. You know, here we go, Lord. I'm bringing my offering. Everybody, look at me. I'm bringing a great offering. But I see him just kind of coming humbly before the Lord, just bringing his offering with sincerity of heart. You know, here you are, Lord. Here's my sacrifice offered in faith to you. Not 
wanting, you know, making all the noise and, 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 and doing all that, but just saying, here, God, here's my life. I give it unto you by faith. When I was thinking of that, I thought of this story in, in Luke chapter 18, the story of the, the Pharisee and the tax gatherer. And it says the Pharisee, stood by himself, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed at this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. It was basically a self-righteous attitude that he had. He's clean, banging the drum. Look at me. Look what I've done. But the tax collector stood at the distance and dared not even open his eyes to heaven and prayed out instead. He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Just a humble heart, just an offering before God, just saying, You know what, God? I just want to do what's right before you. We can have the, the platform come up. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see the good works and give glory to God, the Father in heaven. We need to set a good example, a good testimony before people that we would say, hey, you know what? I want to follow you as you followed Christ. I want to live for God because I see what God has done in your life. Because again, we, we see the two lives here. And we looked at the two brothers, Cain and Abel. One was accepted by God because of his faith, and the other rejected God's counsel and just took a turn for the worse and it's seeing the result of what took place in his, his life. Tonight, as we look at the heroes of faith, let's look at Abel and say, hey, you know what? This is a man who loved God, who had faith in God. God accepted him, and God counted him as righteous. Let's bow our heads tonight. We're going to pray.